Terror and Podnito presents a new episode of the Gory Details. <laughs> back with another episode of the gory details the series where we interview horror figures from all walks of life and give them an opportunity to speak about their experiences i'm sam and today we're joined by author critic journalist and editor of shadow house publishing william simmons william thanks for taking the time to talk to us today thank you for taking the time to talk to me uh so first first question uh will or william actually will william or bill Will, William, Anything or about Bill? Wilbur. What about Billiam? If it floats your boat. All right. Other not. <laughs> <laughs> well, Will, you've had a... Will or a, William. Will, Will or William it is. You got it. Uh, so you've had quite a varied professional career. Um, I've seen <laughs> a note that you've worked uh, as a chef, a paralegal, a teacher, uh, traumatic brain injury case manager, and obviously the reason that we're in uh, even talking today, uh, your work as a writer, editor, and critic, um, with a specialty in all these supernatural tales. So the first very generic question to start this mm-hmm. off, have you always been a fan of horror and the supernatural, or is it something that you came to later on? I always have. Um, from my first experiences as a child where I had consciousness and can remember, to this very second. Uh, I've always been attracted to it. I've always loved it. Um, As a child, I uh, grew up near the Catskill Mountains, where I still live, around a lot of elderly people. And uh, I didn't really have any friends my own age or anything. So I grew up hearing wonderfully gruesome folk tales, legends, and myths from the older people. That kind of started me on that path. I was always a ferocious reader. I read Dracula when I was in third grade, the Bram Stoker version. Didn't understand half of it, but yeah. what I did, I loved. I think I and... read that in college and still didn't understand <laughs> half of it. And um, I've always been kind of an outsider. I accept it. It's fine. Lonely, and that was kind of my shelter, my protection. A way to deal with the world and explore better both my internal world, I guess, and the outside. Okay. Oh, I don't know how philosophical you want me to get, but yes, I've always been attracted to it. Hey, honestly, you can treat this as your soapbox. This is this is for you, not for, oh geez, this is to don't get say you that. Out, not for us. So be go <laughs> be as philosophical as you'd like. But let's let's dive in real quick to okay. your most recent release, uh, or I assume it's your most recent release. Uh, which is the anthology you sent us. One of them, yep. Uh, so you provided a pre-release copy of Season of the Dead Supernatural Horror for Halloween, and you sent us a nice little press release about it, a promotional blurb from it, uh, saying that Season of the Dead opens the veil between the living and the dead with classic and rare supernatural fiction set on or around All Hallows' Eve. Genre legends and unjustly forgotten authors guide readers through centuries of Halloween folklore with terrifying tales of witches and demons Fairy inspectors. From the 19th and 20th centuries, these deliciously dark narratives visit a time when the tricks were deadly, the treats horrifying, and people feared the dead. Uh, You've got like that line. That is a great line. (laughs) Um, And you've got you've got a really wide variety of authors and subjects in this. It's not um, 
all just it's not all vampires um it's oh. not all ghosts it's not all zombies um and some of the authors you include are edgar Allan poe hp lovecraft bon, uh, brom stoker and robert chambers um there's so many short stories out there uh for mm-hmm. horror um and even with you kind of setting that 19th late 19th to early 20th century time frame as your guardrails uh what is your process for getting through all of that available content look like when you're putting together an anthologies of this kind well for me personally it was and it usually is with my work at least for editing projects like anthologies i start with the theme or motivation instead of the stories themselves so this i wanted to craft an anthology that evoked terror, the exhilaration, the melancholy of old Halloween. So help people recapture the true fright and awe of the dark holiday and all that it entails was my guiding light, so to speak, looking for stories. So um, I knew I wanted to have both classic as well as rarities especially the rarities. That was part of my delight in the research and assembling the book. Because let's face it, um, you're right. There are countless stories available. Unfortunately, especially when you're dealing with classic or um, the older weird fiction and supernatural horror, the same five or ten pieces get ever repeated and regurgitated through anthology after anthology after anthology. So I was hoping it's the challenge then You want to have the certain name authors and stories that I personally believe are representative of the genre and helped evoke it, evolve it, rather. But I also wanted to intersperse that with the people who are more aficionados of the genre, something that could terrify and delight them as well. So I'm trying to appeal, in other words, to the classic horror fan, not the true devotee, but also the new readers. And that's what I hoped I did with a balance of both classical authors and ones that are pretty really obscure. Yeah, so those those obscure ones, um, those are the ones I think that caught me off guard the most because, you know, the table of contents, half of it reads like a who's who. Um, yep. And the the great thing, as you mentioned, is you're not going for the normal stories from those authors it's kind of their lesser works um or some of their more overlooked stuff so you know bram stoker as you mentioned yeah you could have put dracula or something that was inspired by dracula in here instead you took bram stoker's dracula's guest um i threw that in um but you've got a lot of underrepresented uh and lesser known authors Um, and i'm glad that you pointed that out and it's a you know it's a delight that you saw that so how how do you come across those authors? How do you find them? Because, uh, for example, I think the earliest story that you have written or that's in here was from 1855. Incised and marble, Edith Nesbitt. I think the earliest story you have is 1855. Okay. Um, you've got, so things all the way back to the 1850s, you've got Edith Nesbitt in here from the 1880s, Anatoly France from ni- the 1920s, uh, Ellen Wood from the 1860s. Mostly the Victorian era and um, up to the early 20th century. So as some of these are less, uh, much lesser known. I, th- I don't remember which one it was exactly, but there was one towards the end that I think it was like one of her only stories. 
How do you come across these? How do you track these down? Well, well, I wasn't shitting when I said I've lived, eaten, and slept <laughs> the the horror, supernatural, and weird genres for 46 years now. That that's my age, and um, it's been my life. So, read a lot, focus on it. More you find out, the more pathways there are to follow, and some of it's just good old-fashioned research. Well, there is no one magic way. It's just you know you kind of soak all this up, or at least I did. And you're always pushing yourself to find new material, you know, like, oh, decades ago, I lost the thrill of going into a bookstore because they always have the same damn titles. So, you know, for me, before COVID, yay, hit, I uh, used to love to go to, you know, little mom and pop, hole-in-the-wall, dark dungeon bookstores because that's where you'd find sure. something that's unique and original. And by the way, I think there's room for everything and anything in this genre. I hate the snobbists, the exclusivity. I'm, I'm on everything from cross-comparative mythology, legend, folklore, and classic lit to the, that wonderful new book, Clown in a Cornfield. <laughs> oh, no, sir, I just think, you know, whether it's viscereal, graphic, or subtle, and, you know, the well-placed shadow, there's room yeah. for it all. And so that's what I try to convey in my, both my written fiction as well as in the projects that I edit. Okay. Celebrate all aspects. Now, if I had to answer for myself, personally prefer, prefer the more mystical and mythical weird fiction. Um, Robert Aikman, for instance, and I love Ray Bradbury, Joyce Carol mm -hmm. Oates, Early Jackson. Hey, we can go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. I love the, the terror and awe is more important to me than the gore. That's just a personal preference. Okay. So with your personal preferences uh, mm -hmm. kind of coming into play here, you know, as the editor of this, you have, uh, you write an introduction for every one of these short stories. And some of them uh, have a little bit more personal flourish, whereas mm -hmm. some uh, provide just uh, more historical context. And you're guiding us through these stories um, and placing them in an order in a, in a way that uh, kind of comes across as like a good mixtape. Um, That's an awesome way to put it. A Halloween, all hollows, horror, good mixtape. Uh, and for anybody listening that doesn't know what a mixtape is, because uh, you're too young, <laughs> maybe, uh, it's a playlist that you can't skip around on. Um, there you go. But there was, there was one introduction blurb that stuck out with me in particular. Uh, oh. And it was your introduction for the Spectre Bridegroom, uh, where you say, we have always feared the dead. At the same time, we mourn them and wish for their return. This is the dark heart of Halloween, not candy-sponsored sugar rushes, but the dark desires that drive us. Folklore is filled with lovers, spouses, and friends returning from the grave with horrifying mm -hmm. results. Yes. It was a good reminder that, you know, while reading through all of these stories, some, a few of which I had encountered before, most of this was mm -hmm. new to me. Um, but it was Dude, that makes me happy. It was a really good reminder that this anthology isn't just about scary stories necessarily, but it's about the idea of these stories and everything through Halloween. Um, yes. But like you mentioned, you, you've got your own preferences of what you like. Um, do your own personal opinions on the various stories that you included uh, color how much you have to say in your introductions? Oh, I would expect probably. I mean, part of good writing, in my opinion, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, if you're not believing and caring in it, 
then you might as well just go pound salt. So whether it's conscious or not at the moment, I can't tell you to be honest, okay? Sure. But I, I would have to guess if my soul depended on it. Yeah, probably. Yeah, everything I think one does is influenced to some extent or another by, you know, what's in their soul, man. So yeah. if I hated the pieces, they probably wouldn't be there. <laughs> and, That's you know, if I, love, if I love something, of course, I'm going to wax enthusiastic about it, as you can probably tell now, suffering listening to me, more than <laughs> if I don't care about it. And I just wanted to point out, if I may, you hit it on the head when you talked about it being kind of like a Halloween sampler or a guide through Halloween. One of the main criteria I had for the fiction, of course, number one, has to tell a damn ripping good story. Mm-hmm. All right, whether it was a classic or an unknown or an obscure one. Entertainment, first and foremost, then try to be informative. That's how I feel. You know, you hook readers, and that's a great thing. Entertainment for entertainment's sake, I have nothing wrong with. Now, of course, what you hope for as a writer, editor, reader, is something that combines both the thrill, the surface magic and excitement, but with something that talks about the inhuman condition. I, I can't call it the human condition. It's the inhuman condition. Okay. So the second criteria... What, what, what is the inhuman condition? Well, that, that, that's a personal opinion, and it's also a great collection by Clive Parker, who, thank yeah. God, is coming back. The inhuman condition, check it out. <laughs> he doesn't need me to plug him, but I'll tell you what. Be Clive. <clears throat> Excuse me, Mr. Barker. But no, um, I wanted to show various aspects of Halloween. So what I tried to do, I don't know how well it succeeded. Readers will have to tell me. But as I was constructing this anthology, besides including a good tale, one that had, I think, both shock as well as mainstream, also literary value, I tried to um, have each story in its own way deal with a particular emphasis of Halloween its history, its folklore, mm -hmm. its legendary. So if you really look at the contents in my introduction, what I hope people are going to get is these are stories that happen on or around All Hallows. That's the point. They also, I was careful not to be imitative, as you pointed out. They're not just right. all ghosts. They're not just all one creature. I wanted to use fiction, more or less, in a way to get in. Here's centuries of Halloween folklore. Here's different evolving legends. Here's different superstitions and customs and rituals. So it kind of serves as a primer to Halloween history as well, which I touch upon in my introduction, where I try to explore in a general way, of course, because I don't have five volumes to do it, <laughs> the history and the evolution of Halloween through literature itself. No, I like it. I like it. I think uh, that's a really good point. Um... Because it is a nice touch, the the historical aspect of this. You know, it's it goes beyond. Yes, these are old stories, but in your introduction and even in the the small introduction excerpts for each story, uh, you do put these into a historical context, uh, which is very unusual. Because uh, of a celebration of Halloween is okay. what I wanted to do. I, I think you nailed it with this. Um, I think this uh, really does a good job. Just keeping you in the the keeping Halloween in your frame of reference. Um, and I think me reading this as the calendar turned from September to October uh, fit really well as well. Um, 
Oh, yeah, yeah, I but could see why that would help. Another thing that you mentioned Definitely. in the introduction of this uh, anthology, and it's also mentioned pretty much anywhere online <clears throat> that I've been able to track down information for Shadow House, um, is that you have a focus on the mm -hmm. forgotten female authors. And so I tend can you to. Uh, yeah. talk about the importance of the of there being the accessibility for more female writers and what tends to be a more male-dominated space? Well, all right. I focus mostly on that, thus mm. far at least, in my editing and publishing work on the older female authors, okay? So I'll, I'll start sure. there if I may. Um, I don't think they've gotten as much credit or exposure as they deserve, and I'm not trying to, you know, <laughs> jump on a soapbox and get political. In fact, po politics scares the hell out of me and borders me uh, simultaneously. I think that's safe to so, say it scares the hell out of most people these days. <laughs> uh, anywho, that's truly scary. Um, <clears throat> yeah, all right. I believe that females have written great, great, not only supernatural horror, but psychological, weird fiction, call it what you will. I mean, if you trace back the origins of the Gothic novel, my God, it starts with that. And I'm, you know, yes, Mary Shelley, Frankenstein, everybody points to that, which it's great, they should. But to me, more fascinatingly, if you look at the Victorian era, all right, and that's what I focus on there partially, you know, in the 1800s, you had revolution that's usually unrecognized by people yet unless they're really into the genre, okay, unless they're a critic or a writer, people don't realize the importance that women writers had in the development of supernatural fiction particularly the, the ghost story. So I think that's important to bear out. Um, one of the things they did is they helped bring terror from the gothic, for instance, you know, traditional tropes, more into the home, more into the family. Made it more domesticated. And that, and that doesn't, by the way, mean weaker or not effective. Some of the things these women wrote were downright terrifying. Sure. Beautifully so. But um, my point being, you didn't have to have the, the grand castle and the beating wind anymore. Terror could be found, quote-unquote, at the breakfast table, okay? And I think that made it more pertinent, more intimate. And for the women especially who were writing in that time, this is an old stale chestnut, but it's true nonetheless, they were able to deal with things societally, socially, sexually that they couldn't in everyday life or, say, in the guise of so-called realistic right. fiction. So I think that was very important because you start getting authors, female authors, who are talking about abuse, um, social injustice, gender politics, things that before, no, no, get the hell out of here. You're not talking about that. But they were able to through this. Okay. So I feel that's important. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. And again, there's, there's really good options in here. Uh, and the the one that I did I actually did mark the page uh, the story that you found uh, was from Lillian Huntley Harris the Val on Halloween uh, where you said that her major literary yes. fame appears to have been the publication of this story um, so it's things like that that I really think make this anthology stand out uh, compared to a lot of the other ones that I've uh, got on my shelves I've got uh, one that a family member gave to me a couple of years ago that's full of great stories, but mm -hmm. they're all your, as you mentioned, the ones that have been reprinted time and time, time again. A stuff. Uh, so this is I, a great, right. uh, great change of pace from a lot of that. I like you. Tell me more. 
Well, no, you're supposed to tell us more. So tell tell us a bit more about. Uh... Hey, man, you can't tell like you can't tell I like to talk. I mean, like, what do you want to know? Well, tell us more about Shadowhouse Publishing. All right, Shadowhouse Publishing began actually this September. It's only been in existing in existence over a little okay. than one month. In that time, not to brag, but I have worked my flat ass off. In just September, I released the Penny Dreadful series, which was what I was trying to do, was do a re-envisioning and an homage to the old Penny Dreadfuls, but with different authors. I included more feminine authors, for instance, and 19th and 20th centuries. They were an exclusive Kindle book set, 20 of them, 99 cents, just like the old days. I thought it was neat. You know what I'm saying? You, you went and bought your little broadsheet back in England. Well, now you can buy your 99-cent read out of, from, from me. So we did, did 20 of those. We did 10 shilling shockers. Now, I'm thrilled with those. I took a lot of folk horror, pagan horror themes, and their mini anthologies, okay. the same emphasis. And then we did, now this is all in September, so that's 30 that's a, books that's a right there. Month already. You're not even done. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't sleep much and I have no hair. Um, phew, um, well, it's getting to me, you know. We have to hire on more people. I'm in that phase where I'm doing everything. Mm-hmm. And um, what I'm proud of most is Season of the Dead. That's my first, I would call it my big baby, my, okay. my baby release, okay? But before that, I would have liked to point out because I really do believe in them. I've had a lot of good response about a series I um, did, again, just in September, their new Horror Hall of Fame novellas, where I tried to take more of these ignored, justly forgotten horror, dark fantasy, supernatural novellas, because novellas are ignored, oddly, in our genre Mm -hmm. for marketing purposes. But if you look at it, a lot of our greatest artists and and works have been in novella form for horror, in my opinion. Uh, Hawthorne, I mean not Hawthorne, Mackin, Algernon Blackwood, you know, Lovecraft. And what I did is um, I rep- took five of those and we did special editions of them. Where, for instance, uh, as far as I know, and I do want to point this out, this is the, a geek fan okay. thing in me. We're the first publisher, I, uh, I think, I put together Arthur Mackin's short novel, Terror. It's short story equivalent coming of the terror to put them side by side so true aficionados or horror fans can actually see how both versions of the same story are, are the same. Well, that was a good moment for me because I got to do that. What's, uh, what's on deck for you? Are you going you gonna to keep plugging along every day like uh, there's... 50 hours worth of work to do in 24-hour days, or are you going to give yourself a little breather? I don't think I, I, don't think I can. Here, here's, here's the deal, if I may. 15 years ago is when I was starting to make mm-hmm. a name for myself. I am a critically acclaimed author. I'm proud of that. Didn't buy me a Happy Meal, <laughs> but, you know, the critics like me. <clears throat> and um, like I said, uh, eight of my stories have been in been in, been honorably recognized in the year's best fantasy and horror. That was a series that used to be edited by Ellen Datlow and Terry Windling. That was an honor for me. Um, my first major collection, which is now old, By Reason of Darkness, was given great reviews by Publishers Weekly and a lot of 
magazines that don't necessarily look well upon mm -hmm. horror, if you get me. And um, I've had a lot of support of my work back when I did it 15 years ago by people like Graham Masterton and TM Wright, the late Hubie Cave, loved him. I was a book reviewer and literary critic for a long time for Publishers Weekly, Cemetery Dance, Hell Notes. So I've done that end sure. of it too. Had a few pieces in places like Room Org and Mystery Scene. And um, as an interviewer, I want to get into that too. So see, it doesn't sound like I'm going to slow down. But, uh -huh. but I, um, I was proud of, you were talking about um, feminine horror writers. And it was one of the earlier ones about 15 years ago that did a series for Cemetery Dance called Our Ladies of Darkness. And way back then, I was emphasizing on celebrating existing female horror authors like Poppy Z. Bright, Caitlin Kernan, Nancy Kilpatrick. I did different interviews with fine ladies mm -hmm. of fright like that. And I guess the whole point is, because I had to leave, there were a lot of circumstances that made me quit just as I was sure. getting known. I think for 15 years, I've been wanting to get back. I had to deal with a lot of issues. So as soon as I felt able to return, I had excess energy, enthusiasm, and passion. Oh, yeah, I've done a lot for one yeah, month. you really have. But, um, yeah, I'm going to have to slow down or I'm going to have a third heart attack. <laughs> so. um, you'd mentioned, you know, you, you worked as a literary critic. And you've... You've written original stories. You've put together anthologies where you're kind of guiding the reader. Uh, do you find it to be easier or a little bit more difficult uh, when you're writing since you've had that background as a literary critic? Do you find yourself judging what you're writing before somebody else has even had a chance to look at it as you're criticizing yourself? Well, first off, good question, great question, but I think any writer, and I don't care what level you're at, if you are, or what genre, if you're a true writer, and I don't even care if you've been published, but if you care about this, you're going to be criticizing the hell out of yourself sure. anyhow. I'm not being facetious or trying not to answer the question, but that's my first honest gut reaction. Well, it's the idea that you're always your own harshest critic, right? I'll be honest with you, and I'm, I'm pretty ashamed of it, but no matter if it's a review, a scholarly article, the book you're holding I've edited, or a collection I wrote, I hate my own stuff after I've done the final proof, sent it out, and it comes <laughs> back to me. I am afraid to look at it, and I don't. I just, no, I'm afraid to. I, it's out there. I've given birth to it, for better or for worse. How long before you will actually look at it? I don't know. There's been, like I said, my last major collection by Reason of Darkness, still available at Amazon for fourteen ninety nine. All <laughs> hey, right, pitch, pitch it. <laughs> um, I haven't really, I, I haven't really checked out for fifteen oh, wow. years. I mean, I'm proud of it. Um, like I said, it got award recommendations. You know, Nacoloids and other writers liked it and did its job. I wish they had done better, but. No, you have to think about market and politics, unfortunately, too. And that's one thing I've never been good at. I don't kiss a good hiney. Not everybody does. My work's either going to speak well, my work either can speak for me for good or bad or to hell with it. So I know as, you know, a small independent publisher, um, especially one that, A, uh, has been around for at this point just over a month, and B, has pumped out as much work as you've pumped out in that last month. 
Um, what's what's the hardest part of being a self-publisher and getting your work out there? One thing that I know I don't like is some people uh, misconstrue because I'm self-publishing. Number one, I'm not self-publishing okay. my own fiction. All right, I'm, I'm actually, I haven't done that yet. Not that I think there's anything wrong with that anymore. I have kind of a hate-love relationship mm -hmm. with that idea. All of the fiction I've done up to this point, hundreds of short stories, professionally published. All that means to me is, no, I didn't publish them. They went someone else, big company, small company, collections, anthologies, magazines, you get me. And it meant something to me that other people felt they were worth publishing, if right. you get me. Well, I'm old school like that because I'm an old fogey. Now I'm back here 15 years later and I see, and I'm kind of glad for this, everybody's self-publishing. Now there's good and bad in that as well. All right, because sometimes how do you know you are ready? I mean, I'm kind of thankful it took me a few years to get going because I had to learn a lot. And I still have a lot to learn, everyone does. So anyways, about uh, Shadow House, I feel great doing what I'm doing because even though I'm self-publishing the book, more or less trying to advocate for horror as a genre and not William Simmons per se. Right. And I'm trying to get the female authors better known. I'm trying to share an appreciation of the older and obscure work with people. Because one of the things that drives me nuts, I guess I was an old soul, because even when I was a, a snot-nosed kid, I thought this about other snot-nosed kids. Hey, asshole, just because something's more than five, you know, five days old doesn't mean it's lost its pertinence or excitement. So I kind of don't have any damn patience for the, well, if it's more than five years old, it's not <laughs> scary. Well, you're a moron. No offense, but, you know, open that book and you'll see some of it's pretty goddamn terrifying. Yeah, I kind of want to share that with newer audiences. So you're going to take a little bit of a break just to recharge yourself uh, going forward. Do you have any... Uh... Any big planned releases or projects coming up that you're able or willing to share some information about? Sure. Um, the, I'll be honest. October was a, a month that my wife and I, she helps with Shadow House. As a matter of fact, I want to give credit where it's due. Number one, she puts up with my <laughs> crazy ass. But uh, number two, she's the cover designer. And I think the, the cover art she's done is wonderful. And we've had a lot of good praise for our covers. So I want to throw that out to her. You know, unfortunately, people do judge a book by its cover, even though that irritates <laughs> me, too. It's got to <laughs> so, be eye-catching, right? Yes. And unfortunately, that's what hurt me again back decades ago before I quit the business for 15 years. Um, I was under the impression back then, kind of that Oscar Wilde thing, young and dumb, for art's sake, which I still believe it to an extent, but I was the type where I didn't want to go schmooze. I never did what I'm doing with you right now. I never hardly ever consented to or wanted to publicize because I, I've struggled my whole life with depression mm -hmm. and anxiety. So you may not see it, but right now I'm scared shitless <laughs> and I have to force myself to go out, meet, greet, talk to fans, readers. So, um, I think that hurt. So the lesson I learned was, even though I still think you should be judged as an author by what you write, the work should matter more than you. I learned that, hey, here I am, all the great shit I think I did, and that other people loved that were critics, I didn't get it to enough people to actually right. share it. So that's one of the big things I learned, and that's why I'm busting mm -hmm. hump so much.
it's time. Um, as far as the future, yes, this month the other big release is coming out on the 15th called Monster Carnival. And that is as purposely pulpy as it sounds. For that, I'm going for something a little different than I did for Season of the Dead. It is actually a purposeful celebration of all the monsters, creatures, and beasts that scared us in pulp magazines and literature. And I'm doing the same thing. I have, say, about 50% stories that are important to the genre, say, or that, you know, anybody might know. Mm -hmm. The newbies. But I also dug deep and found a lot of great monster stories, okay, um, for the reading public. And it's supposed to be fun. I mean, this, this is one of those that, yep, it's the equivalent of a popcorn movie, but for books. Oh, that sounds right up my alley. No, and there's, like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, literature, the importance of the genre, I do think it's cathartic. It's full of pathos. I think we need our ghosts. But I also think there's something to be said. We're no different than the cavemen and women of prehistoric times. Holy shit, what's that thing glowing in the moonlight and being both petrified and attracted to it? And that's what Monster Carnival, I hope, will do. In fact, if I may, I have here in front of me a press release I wrote up, and this does say it the best that I can. Absolutely. May I? Please go ahead. We're all here, a paranormal parade of the dead, demonic, and devilish, vampires, werewolves, zombies, ghouls, and blobs, unnameable entities and marvelous monstrosities, murderous severed hands and demonic frogs. Uh -huh. Every crawling, lurching, leaping, shambling thing that ever stalked a printed page. I'm proud of that. And that actually does embody what I've tried to do in the spirit of this new book. It does have very much a Carnival Barker feel. It has great uh, fiction in it, and a lot of it hasn't been reprinted or probably isn't known by many people for, I don't know, over half a century. That, that's the next big thing. So Season of the Dead and Monster Carnival are for this month. I have put the finishing touches on a new series I'm releasing next month. Jesus, me and my <laughs> series. Um... <clears throat> yeah, Cobb Mistresses, all right, I'm releasing it here, you got the exclusive, all right, um, basically it's, it deals with what we've been talking about, um, I've formed a series where I'm going to try to highlight female authors from, well, not just the Victorian times, but the 20th century, okay, who uh, made contributions to the supernatural horror and dark fantasy tale. I can't release who the first one's going to be yet, okay. what the title is, but I told you the series, Macabre Mistresses. Let's just say my tagline for it would probably be something, the most terrifying supernatural horror collection you've never okay. heard of. Was that for intrigue? I like it. And, and it was a female author who was really... Older equivalent, not being facetious, but I would compare her work to Chris Carol Oates and Shirley okay. Jackson. She was, some weird reason, ignored, and she shouldn't be. And I think the time's ripe to bring her back and sing her praises. Right. So we've got, so that's, and that's in November? Oh, and the, hopefully around okay. November 1st. And then lastly, <laughs> I'll tell you right now, in December... January, my wife and I, we need a break, so I'm not going to be doing much work. I'll still have to promote 
Last book I'm really excited about, and that'll be December, is I am starting a yearly collection, if it's successful, uh, called Yuletide Frights, which will collect supernatural ghost stories for Christmas. It's, it's not a new idea, but I love that British tradition of scaring the hell out of one another like they did for centuries, and that America, for some reason, never really embraced. Hmm. There are tons of dark treasures to be found by men and women in different cultures alike that do deal exclusively with Christmas, that trace back to the pagan Yule, you know, wonderful oh. stuff. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Quite a lineup you've got coming up, but it sounds like things are spaced out a little bit more for you than they were in September. Yeah, I'll be honest. If we had to do it again, I wouldn't have started out of the gate doing um, the 20 shilling shocker, our 20 penny dreadfuls, the 10 shilling shockers, yeah. various reasons, not just because you're being tired, but because you don't want to glut right. the market probably. But see, like I said, my whole thing was the story. The story matters. The genre matters. I have to, I am making myself, in fact, as I said, Despite the anxiety, depression, my illnesses, I'm making myself, put myself out there, and in the same way, learning business yeah, as I, I mean, go it's along. a hell of a way to announce that you're back. Yep. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I haven't seen enough numbers yet. But regardless of numbers, let's just face it. The 15 years I was out, a lot of people have asked about this, so I've never wanted to really talk about it much. Um, maybe I will here if it's okay with you. There was a notice in the kind of about the editor section in the back where uh, it says specifically that you don't speak about that uh, part of your life. But if well, there are some aspects, there are some aspects I, I still won't, but I might okay. hint upon it. But in general, the thing is, like I said, I think for two only being in the genre for two years, 15 years ago, I was making a pretty good dent between being a professional writer, poet book reviewer, award nominee, you know, I was busting my ass and I had, guess mm -hmm. I had some skill. Unfortunately, I also had a heart attack. Like I said, I've had depression and anxiety horribly, probably my whole life. I was diagnosed about 25 years ago. So that mm -hmm. was getting to me. So my wife at the time ran off with our daughter. So with all these fine things, <laughs> I had to leave, right. if you get me. It was just too yep. much. And one of the things that still haunts me, and I, I will come out and say, it's hurt me and will hurt me for the rest of my life. How's this for bearing my soul? <laughs> Jesus. Um, therapeutic. Look at that. I'm not paying no, you, though. Right. Nobody else does either. <laughs> uh, oh, well, see, yeah, that's my <laughs> life. Okay. Um, you think I make money? No. Basically what happened, and this is the biggest detriment in my life back then, I was actually afraid to write horror anymore. My daughter wanted to stay with me when I went through my custody battle, and I'm glad to say after a year and a half, 15 years ago, I earned full custody of my daughter. I can talk about it now because two years ago she went to college, and she's a happy young woman, so I there did my go. job, but I had to fight for the right to raise her. And it was uphill every step of the way. And the first court appearance, you'll never guess what my wife's attorney teams tried to use against me to say I was an unfit father. That you, that you worked in the horror genre and that you wrote spooky stories. Sounds ridiculous, but it's not. Yeah. 
You got it. You hit it on the freaking head. And I still, you can probably tell, get pissed thinking about it. Because to me, that's the most absurd, asinine, goddamn thing anybody should even say. You have parents out. Well, here's here's what gets me, and I said it politely in court and won the judge over, but they kept it up time after time. I view writing as a job. Yes, it's more than that to me, but at the end of the day, when my kid is in the house, if I was a bricklayer, I'm not going to have her exposed to dangerous circumstances on a construction no. site. Hey, ignore the, ignore the falling brick, honey. You know, No. So, like I explained then, it's not like I popped my daughter on my lap a scene with her. <laughs> hey, <laughs> how can we kill this son of a bitch? All right? You get yeah. where I'm going here. So, it, But what was scary between child advocates, idiocy of our culture, and I do think it's pretty idiotic, people's reactionaryism, because I was a male and a horror mm-hmm. writer. I felt the best, safest thing I could do for my daughter, so she could stay with me, is writing, and it yeah. broke my heart. I did it for her. And I kept up until, like I said, she just only recently went back to college. So part of the reason I didn't write and suffered for it every day, because I've missed it, you get me? It's part of you, was I didn't want to have to go through that. I had to to put my daughter first. I mean, I had times where CPS came to my home about the same thing, twice. I feel like I'm in Franz Kafka's (laughs) The Trial sometimes. It was the most irritating, moronic shit I've ever went through, and I hope no one else yeah. has to go through it. No, and like I politely explain, you have people kicking the shit out of family members. Horrible thing. You're wondering if I write a ghost story? Yeah, that's, Are you that's kidding pretty me? out there. I, I wrote a ghost story, woman. No. <laughs> Jesus. Sorry. All right. I'll drop back in but now. No, it's I mean, just crazy. Unfortunately, that is sadly a, a historical legacy of our culture. I mean, it, it's the it's really no different than trying to pin what happened mm-hmm. uh, in Columbine on Marilyn Manson. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. Because he sang a song. Um, yeah. It's a very puritanical outlook on the world that shouldn't exist past the 18th century, but yet it still remains in some places. Oh, it scarred me, I think, for life, because, you know, we'll talk about it intellectually, and I learned that day, the first time it happened, there's a big difference, I have to admit, between knowing intellectually something exists, like you so eloquently put it, than having a knock at your door, right. you get where I'm going, <laughs> where the Inquisitors are freaking here. No, no police record, no abuse record. I've had no, you know, somehow I've managed not to get arrested in my life. <laughs> All right, so here I am, but... I wrote that demon story. Holy shit. It took every ounce of my intelligence and, and my, say, devotion to my daughter not to verbally lose my temper right. with those idiots. Because it was truly insulting and absurd. And the sick thing is you have to kind of take it. Oh, so here, here's a cup of tea. Yep, here's... One thing I loved in court is I whipped out the critical reviews I had earned mm-hmm. as a writer. 
from prestigious places like Publishers Weekly. And I told the judge, and I did enjoy this. See, I guess I like a little conflict because, boy, I get juice striked the fuck up just thinking about this. I pointed out to him, you know, it's not like I'm writing smut. Publishers Weekly, here, oh, look. I've been compared by people to Ray Bradbury and Shirley Jackson and Edgar Poe. You know, they weren't exactly stroke authors, <laughs> were they? No, they didn't write porn. <laughs> so, in a way, I felt like I was kind of defending the genre, even yeah. in a sick little way. And you hit it on the head right there. Um, take Poe. Now, I was a teacher for a while, too. God help me. I uh, went for a master's in secondary English education. Didn't finish it because I walked out of student teaching. I couldn't stand the bullshit, the mm -hmm. lying to children. Or parents telling me how I'm supposed to teach Shakespeare when I'm the one that studied it for 40-some right. years. You know, I don't tell you how to milk your cow if you're a farmer. Don't tell me how to write or teach. Sorry. I think that's a fair opinion to have. Well, not, not if you know the politics of especially right. small school boards. Um, anyways, back when I taught Paul. I saw what other teachers did, and I hated it, and it feeds into what you were talking about, believe it or not. I'm not just rambling. The whole idea that you have to almost apologize and or justify in this society still writing or liking horror yeah. as a genre. And here's what I was going to point out. I hate it, and I fight against it, and I got in trouble for it. Student teaching, in fact. My mouth, see. Dare I have ideals. <laughs> Anyhow. I get sick of every teacher in the history of the sick country, public school, private school, even college level. I have to point out first thing. Oh, Poe was an alcoholic. He 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 was incestuous. <laughs> oh goodness! And they point out all that. You see what they're doing right from the get-go. We're pointing out to people if he was a normal, well-rounded fellow, he wouldn't have written such yeah. sick shit. So, on one hand, they want to teach it, they feel compelled to teach it, but then they have to pull, turn around and, and whitewash it and try to justify, well, it's okay, kids, he wasn't normal, that's why he wrote it. He wasn't like you and me. I think that's a shitty message, and I think a lot of it goes back to our puritanical origins yeah. in this country. I think a lot of it, uh, you know, maybe he's an alcoholic because people were being dicks. See, I go further and I say, I don't give a shit if he was an alcoholic and kicked small puppies. I care about his work. Now, of course, then you have the, the you know, and it's a right question. It's good, deep, the uh, association between a writer and his right. or her work. I believe there are some overlaps, of course. There has to be, you know, the writing by its very nature. Mm -hmm. You are part of it, the individual doing it. But I hate, on the other hand, where... A lot of writers, even I know, a lot of so-called reviewers and critics, man, that's the only thing they go to. Oh, 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 he was a Charles Bukowski. He was an alcoholic. Well, shit, we can't read his stuff then. He was a bad man. No. I don't care if he was an alcoholic. I don't care how many pills he popped. You're supposed to be worried about your fiction, your work. And I see that kind of getting muddied even 15 years later as I come into it and I'm shocked. It seems people care more about your attitude yeah. than your work. Well, the, the, I care about fiction. I care about art. The strangest part about it is, you know, yes, they wrote it, but somebody had to publish it. So somebody thought there was merit to it. Yeah, I find horror is socially con con uh, is actually 
a good thing. I think we need it. I think so. Of course, I, d I don't agree with all the naysayers throughout history. You know, you'll get a psychologist who isn't making enough money. He wants to get on the media. Oh, God, this is going to cause little Tommy to go kill the puppy. Yeah. Well, no, I've never seen any proof to that effect. And here's what's even more interesting. Even if somebody could come along and conclusively prove being influenced by horror fiction or film, say, would cause a damaging impression on somebody and make them do something, which no one has yet to my belief. But even if they could, then you'd have the question as a society and as an individual, okay, great. So what the fuck mm -hmm. do we do now? Okay, well, that means... If he might fit the fuck out watching Rudolph. <laughs> might piss him off. By God, he feels discriminated against. Look at the Bible. I'm sorry people get mad at me, but I say with all respect, in one way, the Old Testament and the New are the most frightening books I have ever encountered There's some in scary my life. shit there, especially once you get so, to Revelations in the New Testament. That's where it starts. Oh, my God. I'll tell you what. Funny story. I had a kid's Bible. Maybe... This brings me back to what got me into horror. Maybe this was it. I remember to this day being a little shithead, sitting on my bed by myself, looking through a beautiful, hard-covered, illustrated Bible my grandmother got me, and going, what the fuck? I mean, I'm seeing demons going into pigs, and people getting butchered and raped, essentially. I remember to this day, it was both fascinating and disturbing. And yet, oddly enough, with all the horror I've encountered, I have yet to kill anybody. Wow. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Well, you get a facetiousness <laughs> about that whole argument. One of my favorite things to point out about that is uh, Tales from the Crypt, uh, you know, yep. the uh, Easton yep. Comics, William Gaines. That poor guy went through a shit show like you wouldn't believe during the era of those comic success, based again on politics and psychologists. Oh, oh, juvenile delinquency is raising because of Tales from the Crypt. Now, if you look at their argument, was it? If you take away these comics, specifically EC, the world will be a better place, delinquency will go away. Here's my argument to people. Well, they did away with those comics, those in particular. It went away. Did it really help anything? How come we're not living in Nirvana? I'm saying the same argument can be applied towards, I think, anything yeah. like that. Oppression and censorships never really help the problem. I'm going to blame everything on pop music. Yeah, you get where I'm going then. But it's a beautiful thing to be able to make an intelligent, calm argument with these people if they want to have an intellectual debate instead of just yelling, hollering, and scapegoating. All the times throughout history, and I can point out many, believe me, okay? Because this is... But I eat and sleep, okay? Anytime we have censored something and, you know, you can go to the documents and show it, oh, it's going to stop this negative behavior. Oh, if you do away with this, it'll stop this. No, it hasn't, which is why we're here now. It's, it's not the book's fault. It's not the movie's fault, the musician's fault. It's maybe humanity. How's that? I think dark, savage, there's a lot of animal in us, and I think that's one, one of the main reasons we need dark arts, fiction, film. It's a way to vicariously release these emotions, face them, without going out and killing the old woman down the street. Yeah. Put it very bluntly. No, I think that's, I think that's pretty spot on. Um, 
I so like get it. on that soapbox. That's that's what you that's what you're here for. <laughs> so see, well, if that's the case, may I say, please, I'd like to eat this winter. Anybody who's interested, Season of the Dead Supernatural for Halloween is currently available through Amazon and Goodreads. Beat me to it. Buy it. Beat me to it. <laughs> well, you you can do it too. Maybe if there we, we go. reiterate Season of the it, Dead. it'll magically Season of the Dead. Stay. Go Supernatural ahead. Horror for Halloween <laughs> is available now in trade paperback and Kindle at Amazon Goodreads and uh, I believe directly through Shadow House as well. They can't get it through us yet. Got Technical it. difficulties. We're coming out with our okay. website next year. I just told you everything I've been That's doing. True. I need to That's sleep true. a little, dude. Uh, so in the meantime, <laughs> until the website does come out next year, where can people track you down, find you, find your work and get in touch? They can get in touch with me. Um, I'm, I'm Hey, as you can tell, I think I'm happy to talk to readers, fans, colleagues, writers. I just love to talk horror. <laughs> I'm the Cliff Clavin <laughs> of horror, God help me. Now, that reference probably did date us, because I don't even know how many dudes know about Cheers. So I'll just leave it there. They can look it up if they want to find out that reference. Yeah. How's that? <laughs> um, I have a Twitter account. What is it, babe? Simmons of the Night is my personal Twitter. Oh, Simmons of Night is my personal okay. Twitter. So that's a good way to get a hold of me. Um, Shadow House. Is the yeah, Shadow House. Bob is uh, Twitter one, too. And how about the email? Shadowhousepub at gmail.com. <laughs> Shadowhousepub at gmail.com. I, I see a stress here. Yeah, focus. <laughs> okay. Well, if that didn't confuse anybody, just just you know, browse yeah, for we'll, me. We'll I guess. Of course, include. But no, I'm, all I'm easy your to contact get a hold of. information in the uh, episode details as well. One thing I would, if I sure. could, like to point out is, um, and this is no kidding, I am proud of it. After having been missing in action for 15 years, it was really nice for my soul to come back and have some people at least remember mm -hmm. me. Miss the work I did. And with um, the publication of Season of the Dead, it's only been out since the first. It's gotten 10 professional book reviews so far. That's pretty good, I think, yeah. for a few days. And each one's been five-star. I mean, there has been no disdain for it so far. So I'm pretty That's... happy about that. I know it will come. So any other questions you have or comments? Or are you ready to go to bed because I've lulled you into sleepiness? You're not sleepiness. Into sleepiness. You've, uh, you've actually got me really <laughs> excited to check out Monster Carnival when that comes out in a couple of weeks. Uh, but that does... On a copy? Sure. I will not turn down a copy. Um, but that does about wrap it up. Uh, so William, thanks again for taking part in this and uh, talking to us and the world. Um, and in these haunted October times, I'm going to close this out with uh, some of your own words that you shared with us in a little letter that you sent along with the book. As all hallows creeps closer, so do old fears. And if in the coming nights you feel a cold hand in yours or see shadows move with nothing to cast them, just tell yourself it is your imagination and try to believe it. <laughs> Thank you for your time and happy Halloween, everyone. And please check out the book. Thanks, William.
Thank you.